What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? What is going on? What is the latest and greatest? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's feeling fantastic, staying sane, safe, healthy, positive, all that as we continue. I believe this is now week three for a lot of us as far as the self-quarantine with no end in sight. We get that the date is April 30th is what the president had said, but who knows? It could be a little bit longer, but we all have to stay patient. We all have to slowly but surely get through this, and we will. But with that being said, some sports talk is ahead of us, and you've come to the right place to listen to it all, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for taking the time out to download and listen to what it is I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. And for those who have been banging with me for now 122 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, April the 6th, in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What is on tap here over the course of the next 45 minutes to an hour? Well, it goes as follows. The documentary that everybody's been waiting for. Less than two weeks, The Last Dance recalls the final season of the 97-98 Bulls. And of course, that entire run where the Bulls were dominant in the 90s. They won six titles in eight years. Of course, the uh, you could say the Lakers of 0-0 to 2002 were the last dynasty. But let's face it. Nothing was like the Bulls or what we've seen here going back to the days of the Celtics in the 50s. I'll talk about that as well as ESPN's just cockamamie greatest basketball player of all time bracket as far as college is concerned and where Michael Jordan won, how you could just throw that in the garbage. A lot of basketball notes here that we'll touch on later on in the NBA. NFL, we have the draft in another two and a half weeks, which we won't really touch on just yet, but there were a couple of signings here, including a one Alden Smith, which I'm sure a lot of Cowboy fans, including my... Dear cousin, JD, who is scratching his head over that, we'll talk about that. We'll also get into some baseball notes, but we'll kick off this podcast, not necessarily what we did last week when we did a whole look as far as will sports come back this year or when will it come back, and it was a lot of doom and gloom from the start, and I'm not going to spin this from a positive standpoint, but I'm going to look at it from this perspective when you had the president over the weekend come out and talk about the NFL probably being believing that the season will take place come September, August, where the preseason will begin, even though nobody's going to care about that, but who knows? I'm sure a lot of sports fans are going to be salivating at the thought of any type of competition on the field, so who knows what uh, type of attendance records they'll probably set when it comes to these preseason games, but he was very optimistic and thinking that the NFL season will begin on time whenever it starts, I believe September the 8th. And we get that that's still a few months down the road. We understand that he's going to put as positive as a spin on it, even though he's had to backtrack on certain things recently, which I won't get into because that's more of a political issue. But when he comes out and says that, and also Dabble Sweeney, the coach of Clemson, says that there's zero doubt that a college season will start on time and have fans in the stands. I wonder if it's their belief. I wonder if it's just throwing it up to blind faith in this particular court of opinion. But at the same time, this is by any means, no way, shape, or form, a 100 automatic slam dunk that these seasons will start on time, considering that events are continuing to be either postponed or canceled. As word came down today that the Open, which was formerly known as the British Open, has now been canceled for 2020 where it would have taken place July 16th through the 19th. As we all know, this is affecting everybody throughout the world, and they certainly don't want to take any chances knowing that this thing, whether you want to put all these golfers on the golf course with no fans, they certainly didn't want to put any of the players at risk, even if they came out negative, because I'm sure that they would have to all take tests prior to this. But they said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not even going to bother, so we're certainly going to postpone, and that's an event in July. So think about it. Usually the college football and football preseasons start in August. So if the president and Dabo Sweeney, and I don't want to make them out to be the poster child for the return of football come the fall, but their comments, of course, are going to add a lot of weight considering the power of the leader of the free world and the power of a one Dabo Sweeney who has won two titles over the last four years. And I get that they want to, shed some light and some optimism to the fans, to the public, to anybody who follows these sports. But as we all know, at the end of the day, the ever dreaded and famous line, I'll believe it when I see it. And that's not to 
say, oh, this is not going to happen. That's not to be pessimistic or Debbie Downer or however you may cut it. To me, I have to see some of these leagues come back into the fold in order for me to think that there could be a football season or a college football season that will take place come September. And it's weird because you have two different contrasting opinions, whether it was the president or the head coach of Clemson football. Because I also read over the weekend that when you look at a guy like Brian Windhorst who has followed LeBron James throughout his whole career and he's on ESPN and he's a writer, very well acclaimed and certainly highly reputable. When he comes out and says from what he's heard throughout the league that it's actually preparing for no season. Now, of course, they remain cautiously optimistic, but they're really looking at this from a scale of what if we can't get started until August 1st? Are we actually going to play three or four games to end out a regular season and then jump right into a playoff, which is going to last them two months, which is already into October, and then you have to postpone the season up until God knows when? Christmas, maybe? So for Windhorse, who certainly has a pulse of the league, for him to think that what he's heard and a lot of the chatter throughout the NBA is they're preparing for no season. Now, that's not to say as a guarantee that there is going to be no season. But when you hear that, it certainly is going to raise an eyebrow to think that, well, you could forget about the NHL. And who knows if baseball will get underway. Because as I said last week, why start a season on August 1st if you're going to play 50 to 60 games? It's just a waste. And I get that people are just dying for any type of competition, dying for sports, whatever. And as I said last week, I'll say today, I don't want a baseball season starting on August 15th and having this sprint to, let's say, October the 10th to squeeze in 60 games and then have a postseason where you may have, who knows, six or seven teams in the mix just because they want to increase the field and make the game that much more competitive to where you have a bunch of teams that are going to vie for playoff spots a la the NFL this year, which they approved that, and we've talked about that in the past. But when you're looking just at the grand scheme of things and hoping that sports comes back, and I am, fingers crossed. Obviously, I need more to talk about than just what's going on off the court or, or rumors or anything like that. You know, we need to talk about what's happening between those white lines. And nobody wants to talk more about it than I do. But at the same time, as much as I could think, well, hey, maybe Memorial Day, hey, maybe June 1st, hey, maybe July 1st. Obviously, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. And I just want to be real, people. I certainly don't want to be that big, giant, thunderous cloud that's going to hover over your heads and in between your ears as I'm trying to whistle through the graveyard how this season is going to take off at any point and then think that, hey, let's just close our eyes, wake up in 2021, and hopefully we'll get some sports back. I'm not trying to do that by any stretch. If it sounds like I am, I'm just being real. So when you have Windhorse and even Rich Kleiman. Now, Rich Kleiman is Kevin Durant's manager, as a lot of people may not or may know. And he feels, from what he's heard throughout the league, that he thinks there may be no season. I understand preparing to not have a season and there not being a season at all are two different things. I get that. But when you're starting to hear more of the, and I don't want to use the word negative, but when you start hearing more of the possibility that there's going to be no season, you have to take that into account coming from not only a powerful writer, but also somebody who's the manager and agent of a powerful player. You certainly have to take notice and think that there's quite possibly that we may not even have a champion in 2019, 2020, as far as the NBA is concerned. You could only think that the NHL will certainly follow suit if that's the case. And sadly, you're getting more reports from Ottawa where I think it's just people in the organization, not necessarily players that are affected by coronavirus. And I know last week I was trying to think about that because I know the Avalanche had a couple of players, as I said, and I was thinking of the other team that was also affected in the league, and it was Ottawa, the Senators. So thankfully... Well, hopefully, first and foremost, let's hope that they're okay. And thankfully, it's only been affected on two teams. And even when you look across the board, you know, not a lot of Major League Baseball players. We know about the NBA with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, as well as the 
kid Christian Wood from Detroit. And also the NFL, they haven't really been affected as far as players are concerned. So that's a good thing. But again, knowing that you could possibly play in empty arenas, which is of course going to be all the talk here, and it's going to hurt the NHL more than the NBA from this regard. The NHL counts on getting gate receipts when it comes to attendance. Unlike the NBA, when their contract that they have with ABC and ESPN, of course they want to have their postseason because a lot of that revenue is going to come from that and not necessarily whomever's going to walk through those turnstiles. So the NHL, they are certainly, I'm sure they are sweating bullets thinking of the possibility that if there's not a regular season and certainly not a postseason, that who knows what's going to happen with the league considering that they've also dug their own messes in the past when it comes to lockouts and no seasons and things of that nature. But this one will certainly hurt more of the NHL than it would the NBA. And it's not to say the NBA would be unscathed by any stretch, but of course the NBA is that much more popular. And of course they have that TV revenue that's going to come in if the season does resume. So, and in baseball, we don't know when they're going to start. So that's obviously a big roll of the dice. And like I mentioned, a lot of these other sports, they have canceled or postponed. I mentioned the Open. Wimbledon also canceled in late June into July. And Wimbledon, as we all know, that's the Super Bowl of tennis there. We understand it's two weeks, not one game like the Super Bowl, but that is tennis's big event for the year. So they didn't even postpone it. They just canceled it altogether. Same thing with the Derby. Now, that hasn't been canceled. They just moved it to a possible date you would think maybe in September. And we all know the Derby, which would have taken place four weeks from this past Saturday. But because they draw record crowds, over 100 plus thousand, we understand that come September, if you can have an audience, fans, etc., they're going to have to play that on an empty track or in an empty building. And then we also have to factor this in, literally a stone's throw from where I live, you had this situation where a tiger was tested positive for the coronavirus, and I'm sure it was transferred by one of the employees that works there. So now you got to wonder, not only do the jockeys would have to be tested, but do we also have to look at these horses to be tested as well? And of course, I report it only because it's a sport. The Kentucky Derby has gone on for 140 plus years. I get it. Now it's just a shame that this tiger that's in captivity, and I know tigers are all the rage right now with the whole Tiger King on Netflix and with everybody being home, I'm sure everybody and their grandmothers watch that. But animals and their safety aside, this is something that you also have to concern yourself with. Not only when it comes to the Kentucky Derby, but also the Preakness, which they've also potentially are looking to move because that takes place two weeks after the Kentucky Derby and you would also think the Belmont Stakes as well. As we've talked about since this whole thing started to take shape, it seems like day after day, a lot of these events are either being moved, postponed, canceled, etc. And the crazy thing is the only sport that's been bulletproof of all this is the NFL. Now, they had their draft in two and a half weeks, which we'll talk about in a minute. And we all know that it's probably going to be, I don't even think it's going to be in a hotel anywhere. You would think Goodell, who knows, maybe in NFL headquarters, he'll just be at his in his office at a desk or in front of a podium in a conference room. And whenever he gets the, the picks that start coming in, whenever he gets them in his earpiece or whenever they're transferred to him, I'm sure he's going to walk up. Hey, with the first pick of the NFL draft, the Cincinnati Bengals select, and you would think it would be Joe Burrow, and then that's it. No fanfare, no clapping, no nothing. So the NFL, as much as they are bulletproof, we've talked about it time and time again, the Shield, they certainly come away with this scot-free. But it'll be interesting to see when we get deeper into the spring and obviously into the summer and then late into the summer, if this whole coronavirus thing is still going to impact this country the way it has here in March and April. Now, you would think it's going to start to die down. You've heard a lot of talks about this virus can't survive in the heat. But we all know, whether it's true or not, football's played in the fall. 
And what's going to happen when you get into October, November, December? Is this sucker going to rear its ugly head again? Obviously, we won't know that. And I'm sure we'll be well prepared at that time. But that's certainly a gamble that the NFL or any, or anybody wants to certainly take a shot at or certainly want to risk with them having to suspend seasons and go through what the other sports leagues have gone through here over the last four to six weeks. So that's just a little bit of the big picture here. And we're just going to wait and see. We could watch all the classic games that we want. And I know that the sports gods took a shot at me yesterday because for those here, especially in New York, I'm sure maybe throughout the country on ABC, they replayed game seven of the 2010 NBA Finals, Lakers and Celtics. And I actually watched that game a few days after the death of Kobe Bryant. And it was amazing to think that Kobe did not have a good game. As you saw, 6 for 24. He shot the ball terribly. He did get 15 rebounds. And the Celtics, of course, in the prior game, lost Kendrick Perkins, which was pretty much their only inside presence when it comes to rebounding. I understand you could say, hey, what about Kevin Garnett? But we all know Kevin Garnett was more of a jump shooter. And yeah, he did get his rebounds, but he certainly wasn't going to be banging underneath the boards like he did early in his career. But with the... Game and the obviously championship on the line. The hero of that game was Ron Artest. And I know that Pau Gasol also contributed. He had a big game and showed a lot of toughness and metal. But we all know and we've seen time and time again, the biggest shot of that game was Ron Artest. And even at 64-61, where Derek Fisher hit that three to tie the game. But the Celtics had that game in hand. And that was a tough one to swallow. But the other thing that, uh, the other game that was broadcast yesterday at the same time, they replay Super Bowl 45 of Green Bay and Pittsburgh on My9, which is a local channel here. And I'm sure it's throughout the country, wherever you may be. But to think, the sports gods are almost laughing at me. That, hey, we're going to show these two games where the Celtics lose a Game 7 in LA, a series that they possibly could have won if Kendrick Perkins did not get hurt in Game 6. And then the Steelers, who had a chance to win three Super Bowls in five years... They lose to Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know why they call the NFL's greatest games because it wasn't a great game. It had its moments. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Steeler fan, but you know, it wasn't a classic Super Bowl. They wanted to show a classic game. They should have showed Super Bowl 43. And I'm surprised because they're in New York, they didn't show any of the Giants Super Bowls. So it made me think, here they are. They're showing these two games that certainly hit right to the solar plexus. And in fact, those are two of the last teams that I root for that actually had an opportunity to win a championship because since then, none of my teams have gone back. Well, I take that back. The Mets were in the World Series in 2015. So, and we know how that unfolded. But it made me think, what's on Yes Network right now? They're showing game one or game five of the 2000 Subway Series? Might as well just throw the hat trick to make the third time the charm. So that's all we have, people, when it comes to waiting to see what's going to happen here in the weeks to come. As we all know, we haven't hit the peak of this thing. And we would only hope to think that as we, we already turned the calendar to April. But as we go from April to May, and as I said earlier, what the president had announced last week, as far as April 30th, let's pretty much be on lockdown, not to use his, you know, I'm paraphrasing here. And now once we get into May, maybe even as late as Mother's Day, because I know the CDC, when they announced a couple of weeks ago how chances are we may not see the downside of this thing until May 11th, where they said, I believe, eight weeks at that time. So who knows? Maybe come the first week of May or after Mother's Day, we could look at this thing and say there has been improvement or certain places can be open or restored or whatever and as I said last week it's all going to depend on the public whether or not they feel comfortable going to these arenas or going to restaurants or museums or movie houses or whatever where they may have to play in front of these empty buildings and of course the flip side is with a lot of people out of work and record number of unemployment just rising by the second are these diehard fans or are these casual fans for that matter Are they going to go to these games knowing that they have no money in their pocket, although they want to escape, but they're unable to go because they have no money and they're not discounting these tickets or the parking or the concessions. So obviously it's just a whole big giant mess, but 
we're trying to get through it. And again, I don't want to sound like I said Debbie Downer before, but I guess maybe I could say Danny Downer. I don't want to go down that road. And I understand if I have done so and kind of brought your spirits down, my apologies. I'm just trying to put a few truisms when it comes to this whole thing because I'm certainly not going to sugarcoat it by any stretch. For those who've listened to me, whether from the very beginning, from the middle, or if this is your first time here. So we're just going to have to wait and see. Going to continue to watch classic games. And let's just uh, sit back and hope for the best. And keep our fingers crossed that some improvement will come along in the weeks to come. And then hopefully some of these seasons will resume. And even the events that have been canceled, maybe they'll reopen the idea to maybe to having a British Open later on this year. Which it's unlikely, but you just never know. All right, so now let me get into a few things. Let's go down the list here. With baseball, just real quick, here's another thing that they canceled. That London series, if you remember last year between the Yankees and Red Sox, they were going to do that again this year. I believe it was June 13th, 14th, if I'm not mistaken. And that was between the Cubs and Cardinals. Well, that's been canceled. So you can forget about that. The other thing is, which I understand a lot of people may be surprised Twofold, one with the suspension and then one has to do with the players. The suspension regarding A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau, the former manager and general manager of the Houston Astros. Now, it's been agreed upon that even if there are no games to be played here in 2020, that they will be reinstated come whenever the baseball season would have ended this year. So, uh, let's just say for argument, take November 1st. So, come November 1st, they could be eligible to be hired by a Major League Baseball team even if there wasn't a single pitch thrown. Now, some people may look at that. Oh, that's not fair. How could that be? They should still be suspended. Chances are they're not going to get hired by anybody next year. I'm sure no organization is going to look to hire him as the bench general for their team come 2021. So I think that's safe. And I would also feel the same way for Jeff Luna. In fact, I think Hinch will get a job probably the following year. And Luna, who knows? He may not even be a part of baseball at all in the future at any stretch. So that's one. And then the other thing is two, and I failed to mention this last week, so my apologies. When it comes to free agents this year, again, if not a pitch is thrown in the 2020 baseball season, when you look at a guy like Mookie Betts, he'll be a free agent. The trade between the Red Sox and Dodgers may not be fruitful for the team out in Los Angeles because... Could you imagine if they don't play at all this season? I'm sure that obviously they're going to have first dibs at negotiating with him for a contract is concerned, but he's going to have a whole year off. He hasn't had a chance to even suit up in a uniform, and now they're going to have to plunk down anywhere between 300 to $400 million on the table without him even racing out of the dugout to go to the outfield to stand there for the national anthem. So if you're the Dodgers, what do you do? I mean, you almost have to resign him considering that you traded young prospects for him you just have to throw your hands up in the air if you're a Dodger fan say hey but that's not right it's not fair but unfortunately that's what's agreed upon so I know that sucks I know if I was a Dodger fan I would certainly look at that and say man that's unfair but if that's what the deal is you're certainly gonna and the Dodgers have money so it's not as if they are not going to be able to put forth a very handsome contract for one Mookie Betts, but at the same time, knowing that he may not even play at all this year certainly stings a little bit if you're a Dodger fan, knowing that, oh, geez, now we're going to have to go out and sign this guy for 10 years, you know, close to $400 million. Is he worth that much? I get that the market probably dictates that when you look at other top players in the league, but that is an awful lot of money to put toward anybody, even if your name is Mike Trout. And we know Trout is Trout. But look how that's done in Philadelphia and in San Diego the first years. And that's not a knock on Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, but when you're stuck with that type of contract and you want MVP performance every year, it's not based on what you did in the past. It's based on what you're doing now. So, so that's what we got there with baseball. The football stuff, there are a couple of things. One is this Alden Smith signing. And I know if you're a Cowboy fan, You had a guy in the fold where Robert Quinn, who was with the Rams and then went to Miami and ended up on the Cowboys last year and had a very productive season, 11 sacks, very good defensive player. 
Obviously, he goes to Chicago and signs with the Bears. So what do the Cowboys do? They went ahead and signed a guy who had not played in the league in four years, who has had a rap sheet from here to Timbuktu, has gotten in trouble for so many different allegations of things off the field when it comes to PEDs, domestic violence, scuffling with security at airports. I mean, you name it. And we get that Jerry Jones, for whatever the reason, has an affinity for signing these types of players. When you look at Pac-Man Jones, when you look at Greg Hardy, when you look at Tank Johnson, you can go down the list. And here's another guy that when he is healthy and his head is on straight, the guy is as disruptive of a defensive player as there is in the league. I mean, just look at his numbers for his career. He's averaged almost a sack a game. Obviously a little bit less than that, but he is a very good defensive player. Everything that you want in a guy that's going to get in the backfield of the opposing team. But to think, even at one year, $4 million, to really go deep into the scrap heap, to bring in a guy like that, and we understand it's low risk, high reward, but one hiccup and this guy is going to have to be cut. And we get it's been four years. Is he a changed person? Is he a... New man, we don't know that. Nobody has even thought about Alden Smith here over the last four years. He's been on nobody's radar. Can this guy be effective? I'm sure he can. He's had four years off. If he's kept himself in good shape and he still employs the same skill set that he had back in his days, especially with the 49ers because I know he had a year with the Raiders, then fine. But at the same time, that is just a big-time risk. And I get you're the Cowboys and you want to try to fill in that spot. You need a guy that's going to rush the passer. But boy, you talk about the longest of long shots here. Let's just hope it works. I know a couple of Cowboy fans in particular who are not happy about this because it's just typical Jerry. We understand he rules the roost. We understand that that's, it's his way of the highway for the most part. And you only hope that Alden Smith could be on his best behavior and show his exploits on the field to the one where he played his days at the Niners and Cowboy fans can only hope and rejoice that this guy could bring the pain on the football field and do what he did when he suited up for San Francisco back between what, 2011 and 2014. So I wouldn't have made that move. Again, very risky. You know, you have a lot of guys that have been in this league that have certainly had too many off-the-field issues. And that's not to say you can't give them second chances or it's not to say that, oh, they're not deserving because we've seen it time and time again in the NFL. But four years away from the game, is he rehabilitated? For his sake, I hope he is. If my team, I would not, no way take the risk. I try to draft somebody and we understand that defensive ends and pass rushers do not grow on trees. But boy, that is just a, that's just too much of a risk. At least for my blood. And then you have the draft two and a half weeks away. I'll talk more about it as we get closer. See if I can get somebody on to handicap the draft that week of, or even maybe just a couple of days before that. So hang tight. Obviously, you can follow me on my social media accounts, which will be toward the end of the podcast, on who I'll get on to be a spot for that draft, which uh, should be very compelling because the draft is what everybody's looking forward to right now. As I said last week, it's going to be boring. And the draft usually is boring. To sit there between picks, to hear the analysis, the over-analysis, the analysis of the analysis of all these players, I mean, it becomes sickening. And watching the highlights over and over, just after a while. But again, it does bring hope. You kind of look ahead to your team and who you're going to select. And obviously with a lot of teams at the top of the draft, they're looking forward to who their next quarterback's going to be. If you're Tua Tagovailoa, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, etc. But again, that's just for two weeks down the road, which will take place in Vegas. I guess it's still going to take place there, just with Goodell. I, who knows? But we'll be uh, sure to keep our eyes on that. And of course, we'll give you a little preview of that once we get to the, the week of the draft. All right, I want to turn my attention to the NBA here. Now, the NBA, this is going to be weird because 
there are three things. It's almost like a good, I don't want to say good, bad, and ugly, but I'll call it that. Here's the good. I'll start there. The good is you're going to have the 2020 Hall of Fame class where it's going to be Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett. They're leading the class along with Tamika Catchings, Rudy Tomjanovich, and others. And the first thing I thought of was what Hall of Fame class is bigger and better than this one? Because you have three Titans going into the Hall of Fame. Arguably a top 20 player of all time in Kobe Bryant. Arguably a top 10 player, and I think he's top 10 in Tim Duncan. And then Kevin Garnett, who's probably top three power forward of all time. If you're looking at Kevin McHale, you could argue Carl Malone, and then Tim Duncan. He's definitely in the top five. He could argue top three. So I went back and I looked at two classes in particular. Of course, I had to look at the the year when Michael Jordan one got in, which was 2009. He went in with David Robinson, John Stockton, Jerry Sloan. <laughs> Not too shabby. When you think about it, that's nine rings between them. And Stockton went to two NBA finals. Of course, lost to Jordan in those two years. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. Then I looked at the 2016 class where it was Shaquille O'Neal, Yao Ming, Allen Iverson, among others. Four rings between them. Obviously, Iverson went to a final and lost to Shaq's Lakers in 2001, and Yao Ming did not make it to a final. Yao Ming was bigger than basketball because he had his dominance, but is he really a Hall of Famer? Now, we understand this is the Naismith Hall of Fame, so it's just basketball. It's not the NBA Hall of Fame or Pro Basketball Hall of Fame because you got guys going in the Hall of Fame. Ralph Sampson's in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. And we all know in our eyes, as far as the NBA is concerned, Ralph Sampson is not a Hall of Famer. But you had those three guys go in, but this one here, 11 rings between them, four MVPs, countless finals MVPs, especially for Duncan and Kobe. And I'd have to say that that's probably just as big, if not better, than the Jordan Stockton Robinson. Now, Robinson, of course, is another guy. Top power forward of all time. Did play center, of course, because everybody knows him more as a center. So I, I can't even say he was a power forward because he was a center, a true center back then. And it's close. People could argue Jordan Stockton Robinson is better than Duncan, Garnett, and Bryant. It's going to be interesting to see that enshrinement because Duncan, who's Mr. Fundamentals, and he's not going to say much. He's very soft-spoken. But had a wonderful career. And if you ask me, he is the, if you put a top 10, and I understand it's tough to cram your 10 in there, but he belongs there over Kobe Bryant. And I know there's a lot of people, especially the Kobe Hive, right now they probably fell out of their chairs or driving their cars off the road if you're listening to this. But, and I'm not even going to talk about championships or whatever. Tim Duncan is the best power forward of all time. Hands down. And if you're the best power forward in the history of this league, then you have to be in the top 10. That's, that's all there is to it. And we could go through the, and this is my top 10, if you ask me, real quick. It's Russell, Wilt, Kareem, hands down. Those are the top three. The next two are Jerry West, Oscar Robertson. Oscar Robertson, or the big O, was known, he was the triple-double before the triple-double was invented. Jerry West is the logo, hands down. Million finals. I understand he lost a lot of those to the Celtics, but those are your five. Magic and Bird for what they did to the league. Need I say more? Jordan, that's eight right there. LeBron, that's nine. And Duncan is 10. Kobe, as we all know, people could put in their top 10, that's fine. They want to put in their top five, that's fine. It's not mine. When you look at Duncan and Kobe, now they're two different players. They play two different positions. We get that. But just think about the winning that Duncan did. And you could say, oh, he had Popovich and he had Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. Well, guess what? If that's what he had and the winning percentage between those teams or the all the years that he was on San Antonio, I believe his winning percentage was over 70%. And Duncan was a huge part of that. So there were some very lean years after the Kobe Shaq years of the 2000 to 2002 when they won those three titles before they reached the mountaintop in 2009, 2010. 
there were some years there that Kobe was, yeah, maybe averaging 30, 32, 33 points a game, but it seems went nowhere. Where Duncan's teams year in, year out, and throughout the stretch of that 20-year period, when they won championships in 99, 2003, 2005, 2007, went in 2013 and should have won, but lost to the Heat and then went back in 2014 and won. His career, although one title short, to me, is comparable to Tom Brady. And the reason why I say that is because of the consistency, the winning, the championships, and obviously winning MVPs throughout that stretch. I'm sorry, he belongs in the top 10 before Kobe Bryant does in my eyes. And then, of course, Kevin Garnett, who's up there as one of the top power forwards of all time, like I mentioned. And we all know that speech is one I'm looking forward to. Because Kevin Garnett, now, he's going to have to clean it up a little bit. And I'm sure there's going to be a the bleep button to edit any four and 12-letter words. But Garnett, as we all know, is passionate, funny, engaging, that's what I'm looking forward to. And it's a shame we won't get to see Kobe Bean Bryant up there because that would have been just to have those three guys going to the Hall of Fame at the same time. And think about it. They were drafted consecutively three straight years. KG 95, Kobe 96, Duncan 97. And they all go into the Hall of Fame together. So that's the good. The other good I want to throw in is The Last Dance, the documentary that's going to air on ESPN on April 19th. And everybody's looking forward to that. We understand this generation, they're going to look at Kobe Bryant as being the quote-unquote Michael Jordan or Jordan Light, if you want to call it, of this generation, and rightfully so. But what's going to be fascinating about this documentary, I'm sure they're going to look at the whole run, the whole dynasty, even with maybe Jordan going to play baseball for those two years or year and a half. But it's going to focus in on the 97-98 season. Obviously, that's why it's called The Last Dance between Coach Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, etc., etc. And it's amazing to think that this documentary, its again, it's supposed to be this one season. I could see if it was the whole run going back to the 91 season or even maybe before that where Jordan's Bulls couldn't get past the Pistons there in the late 80s, early 90s. But this is going to be a 10-part documentary. 20 hours. So you're going to have five straight Sundays, part one, part two, the two hours, obviously an hour each, over the course of five weeks. And now they were supposed to originally air this after the NBA Finals to go into the summer. But obviously with the way the world is at the moment, I'm sure they're doing any last-minute edits to try to get it all out there to kick off on April 19th. And I'm going to be fascinated to see it because I've watched those teams closely. I know a lot about those teams. And it's going to be interesting to see what Nuggets they're going to dig. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of things talked about how some guys didn't get along or people that couldn't stand Phil Jackson or whatever. And that's not going to be any news or anything that's going to be earth-shattering. But what's going to be fascinating is what it was like to not only be a teammate, with Michael Jordan on the team. And of course, Jordan's going to be prevalent in this documentary as he's going to be interviewed, and which was important because if you couldn't get Jordan to be on screen to discuss this, then why even have this documentary? So I'm just saying this now, just as a prelude to it. And I know I've could have brought this up next week, but it's good because then over the course of starting, what, two weeks from today, we could take a look back, share my thoughts on it, and hopefully get your thoughts back via social media as to what you feel and think about those teams. Because as we all know, the 96 Bulls in particular, that won 72 games, and they won in six games against the Seattle Supersonics in the NBA Final. Remember, they were up 3-0 in the series. So it's not as if they were 2-2 and they had to win a game five in Seattle. They pretty much had the series at hand. Which was the best basketball team I've ever seen. But... Jordan, as we all know, he is so transcendent, even to this day, even as an owner, because his apparel still sells, he's still relevant, and everybody knows that a lot of people feel that he's the GOAT, and rightfully so. Best player I've ever seen. Of course, I didn't see Wilt, I didn't see Russell, West, I didn't see any of those guys. 
But if you ask me who was the best player I ever saw, it was Jordan. And that's not to talk bad or talk down on LeBron James because LeBron is unlike anything I've ever seen as far as the ultimate package. Size, strength, ability, etc. But the one thing Jordan had, and I admired, and I admire, and I wish all my athletes had that same, I don't even want to say mentality because a lot of that's been thrown around here, especially after the passing of Kobe Bryant with the whole mama mentality. But man, that guy was an assassin. If he's playing checkers against his mom, he wants to obliterate her. And I feel that way too. Just to give you a quick example, a few weeks ago, I'm playing with my girlfriend's nephew some ping pong, and I want to destroy him. And I've always had those competitive juices, man. Even go back to when I was a kid, six years old, in the Bronx, trying to play baseball, stickball, whatever. And I always wanted to be picked first or second against 12, 13, 14-year-olds. So I've had that competitive nature, juices, everything since then. And even now at 51, I don't care who it is. And that's what Michael Jordan has. And you've got to admire it. The guy did anything it took to win a game. So I'll be fascinated to watch that. The bad, sticking with Michael Jordan, is ESPN's bracket on who is the greatest college basketball player of all time. Which I believe it came down to Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. Which is the biggest joke of all time. Because I don't know if ESPN and how they did this. I didn't follow this 100%. Every time that I went on ESPN site, I noticed they had this bracket. They even had Allen Iverson up there. I guess he made it pretty far in this bracket. And I love Allen Iverson. so, But I don't believe he belongs in the Final Four. I mean, let's face it. He made one regional final and played two years. Uh, he doesn't belong in the top four, even in the top 16. But with Jordan winning this thing, the bottom line is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the greatest college basketball player of all time. So to have this bracket, and I understand it's for fun, we get his downtime, there's nothing going on, let's just make up some sort of NCAA tournament as far as who is the best college basketball player? Because they can't even do the best college basketball team of all time because pick one of John Wooden's UCLA teams. In fact, if they had a Final Four, I'm sure three of those teams will be Wooden's teams, if not four of them. Maybe you want to throw in the 76 Indiana team, Bob Knight, undefeated. But if John Wooden's teams are going to be in the Final Four, and that would be a waste of time, this was a complete waste of time because Kareem, as we all know, was a three-time All-American Player of the Year, three-time Most Valuable Player, Final Four, and three-time champion. Who's going to top that? Even Bill Walton, who's probably the second greatest college basketball player of all time, who went 88-2 in his four years in college, two titles, went 21-22 for against Houston in a final. How is he not better than Michael Jordan? Or even, dare I say, and we're talking college people, so don't, again, don't drive off the road, Jordan fans, or fall off the treadmill, or burn yourself if you're cooking while you're listening to this. But Christian Leitner is a better college player than Michael Jordan. Four Final Four trips, two titles, one of the biggest shots in college basketball history, if not, and that was a regional final. That wasn't even a Final Four or a championship game. Where I understand Jordan has the championship game shot against Georgetown. But Leitner was a far better player than Michael Jordan was in college. So for them to come up with this stupid bracket, and no offense to Jordan, how can you not like Jordan and love him? I just finished praising him. But that is just an atrocity. I get it's just a pastime, it's just to have a little fun, whatever, but ESPN has to be embarrassed. I don't know how they generated that to have Jordan against Bird or even have Jordan be the greatest college player of all time. I mean, based on what? So that's the bad. And then the ugly, and it goes back to trying to be creative. I get that. Or trying to bring eyeballs to the set to do something a little bit different. But if ESPN is really thinking of televising horse games amongst players, they got to find something else to do. They, they, They might as well just replay these finals games or playoff games or whatever it is. They might as well just do that. Because is anybody going to be interested in a horse game between, let's say, LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard in two separate gyms 
that were recorded, not live, because I don't think they're going to do this live, but they're going to be recorded. And does anybody care? Please. I'll definitely find something else better to do than to sit or even DVR a horse competition. And they're going to use top players. I don't think they're going to use LeBron or Kawhi Leonard. I'm just using them as an example for the sake of this discussion. But if that's what's going to be televised just to get our Sports Jones fixed, then give me the classic games because there's no way that I'll even want to spend time, let alone watching it, but even finding it on a particular network. And in this case, it'd be ESPN. So that's just the ugly, and I just, no. I just can't. All right, so let's get to my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week, it's twofold, but I'm going to start off with this person in particular, is Tom Dempsey, the former kicker of the Saints going back into the 60s and 70s. Sadly, he had been battling dementia and Alzheimer's, but had died due to COVID-19 over the weekend at the age of 73. And for those who don't know who Tom Dempsey is, he had held an NFL record for 40-some-odd years. And I believe it was broken by Matt Prater of the Denver Broncos at the time, where Tom Dempsey kicked a 63-yard field goal. And it stood for so long that until it was broken, I believe it was 64 yards, like I said, where... He was pretty much revered in Saint history considering that a lot of their history early on until, let's say, the 80s where they had a little bit of success with Bobby Hebert and his teams and then later on, obviously, when Drew Brees and Sean Payton got together as coach and quarterback of the Saints and, of course, won a Super Bowl. But Tom Dempsey was so symbolic, not only of the Saints, but, of course, of this record because nobody ever thought it would be broken. And here was a guy who had half a foot, I believe was diabetic, too, Uh, don't quote me on that. I should know that, but he did have half a foot and was able to kick a 62 yard field goal in the process. And the record stood for a long time and unfortunately passed away over the weekend. So thoughts, prayers and condolences go out to the Dempsey family, but he gets my hero of the week as well as Bobby Mitchell. I have to throw him in the mix because he was a guy that played in the backfield with Jim Brown in his days in the fifties and early sixties with the Cleveland Browns, and then later on became a Washington Redskin, where he was actually the first African-American signed by the Redskins back then, was inducted to the Hall of Fame as a, was pretty much a flanker, did play running back, but also played some wide receiver, was in four Pro Bowls, died at the age of 84, and was uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1983. So those are my heroes of the week. And my zero of the week, and this is going to be fun, you ready for this, people? Justin Turner, the Los Angeles Dodgers. How dare he think that the idea of a home run derby after the 10th inning would be similar to the shootout in hockey to where they could end these games and not have to worry about playing deep into the night, whether it's 12, 13, 14, 15 inning games. You know how long that's going to take to set up a home run derby to get these guys warmed up? Or maybe not warmed up because if the players were in the game, let's just say for argument's sake on his team, okay, so he's going to hit Turner... You're going to have Cody Bellinger and then your third player. I'm not old to say Mookie Betts. So you're going to have those three guys. But remember, you got to bring out the screen from center field to place there. You're going to have to have the pitcher warm up. You're going to have to get warm up swings. It's going to take forever. You know, this isn't just wheel out a pitcher, let's go and five swings and that's it. To me, that's a complete waste of time. It is beyond hokey that if the Powers that be in Major League Baseball even consider thinking about doing this. They need to get their heads examined. And for Justin Turner to think that, hey, this could cure all the ills. It'll be fun. The crowd will get into it. I think it will be laughable. That's like in the NFL, if it's tied after overtime, let's see who's going to kick the longest field goal. Uh, That's just an absolute, that's a joke. So for Justin Turner to come out and say that, and he said some stupid things this offseason as well. And I get that some of them may be warranted, especially towards Rob Manfred with the shiny trophy, etc. But Justin Turner's had a lot to say here over the course of the last two to three months. And this one was just beyond preposterous. So guess what, my guy? You are my zero of the week. So that'll do it for this week. People, I'm working behind the scenes to post another podcast here later on the week, hopefully by Thursday. But you want to keep yourself abreast of what's going on. All you need to do is just go to any of my social media accounts. I'll be sure to post anything that's going to happen as far as another podcast this week. I do have something up my sleeve. I can't pull it out just yet. I'm hoping that it comes through uh, in regards to a guest. But 
again, I can't tip my hand too soon, but I do want to come back later on the week just to, or even go off the beaten path a little bit as I've come up with a little creative angle to present to you guys. So I think it'll be a little bit fun, but hopefully if the guest does come through, obviously that's going to take precedent over my crazy creative idea. So you can follow me on any of my social media accounts, whether it's J Reels on Instagram, J-A-Y-R-E-E-L-Z, or the J Reels podcast, which is strictly sports. And I understand I need to add more sports stuff to it. But again, people, as lacking of sports news and any activity that's going on in the world of the round ball and pucks and all those other good things, it's uh, kind of tough. It's slim picking. So I understand I need to increase that. But I will also on Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. The J Reels Podcast fan page on Facebook. And if you need to send me an email or you could just hit me up in a DM in any of those aforementioned social media accounts, you could do so. The J Reels Podcast at gmail.com if you want to do it the old fashioned way. For any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, I'm open to all of it. I'll be sure to follow up with you guys as I usually do on any of those accounts. So I implore you to go follow me and follow what's happening with the podcast on any one of those particular accounts and as I always say each and every week people I implore you and will be greatly appreciated if you hit subscribe to wherever you get your podcast whether it's on Apple Google Spreaker Stitcher Spotify iHeartRadio Luminary CastBox Player FM I'm sure there's countless others that are out there that I'm unaware of but please not only hit subscribe because what will happen is that every Monday when I put out this podcast the second that I post it on the website at jreels.com, of course. It'll pop up on your phone, your tablet, whatever device that you may use that you listen to your podcasts. And then in turn, I would also ask you just to rate and review this podcast because by doing so, all that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with the zillions that are out there, as I've said, week in and week out. And I would need your help. I can't subscribe to my own podcast, people. Yes, I can, but I can't go to everybody's phone and do that. So... I'm going to need your help, and especially during this time where you have tons of downtime, there's no excuse. If you could scroll through your Instagram feed for three hours, you could literally take 60 to 90 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review. Four stars, five stars, whatever it may be. Any review is fine. J Reels is kooky. He's crazy. He's funny. He's informative. He's knowledgeable. He's this, he's that, whatever it may be. Because again, not only just to increase the visibility, but also generate interest with guests who aren't familiar with the J Reels podcast. So whether that be the former athlete, the current athlete, the sports writer, blogger, sportscaster, broadcaster, whatever it may be. Because I'm looking to expand people to make this bigger and better each and every week for you guys. Because obviously without you listening, there would be no show. And even if there, you guys weren't out there listening, I'd still do it because I do it for the love to inform you and to entertain you guys to bring you everything. That's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Keep your eyes out on my social media accounts for a podcast coming on later this week. And until next time, on the flip, baby.